0: I also can't find the button in this hotel that tells people not to disturb. And given that we're in India, that's likely to happen. So if someone comes in with, I don't know, some food
1: or wants me to meet their uncle or something, um, don't, don't worry. <laughs> More likely to be food, though, with you, Longman. Probably, yes.
2: <laughs> oh, no, a banquet's arrived. Who ordered <laughs> yeah, exactly. that?
0: Oh, the dancing boys at my door.
2: Hello passengers, this is your captain speaking, and welcome to this episode of The One That Got a Gay.
0: Well, I think he would have loved it. Um, Oh, you're going to make me cry now. Um...
2: Welcome to week five of the one that got a gay with Birmingham's newest resident, Emily, and West London's biggest tank top wearer, Alex.
1: Are you taking offence to my tank top?
2: Darling, it's never the weather for tank tops.
1: It is when you're manifesting two weeks ahead of a holiday and I'm trying to get into good shape, okay?
2: Right, is that why you've got athlete on your chest as well? I am an athlete think you're an athlete, you are an athlete. Speaking of athletes, I've just got back from holiday where I ran most days while I was away. Really? It was amazing. Was it a beach run? So it was kind of a a run on the promenade of Spain.
1: (laughs) The only one (laughs) in the whole of Spain. Um, It's called the Spanish promenade. I ran
2: on the Spanish promenade and I ran with a very enthusiastic running partner who was shouting at me down said promenade.
1: Who was this person?
2: A member of my partner's family, who is 10 years my junior. And he was, they all call me Bird. And he was going, come on Bird, come on Bird. And I actually felt like I was flapping and squawking while, whilst I was running. But that was me just attempting to to breathe and, and get through it, really.
1: Why do they call you Bird?
2: Big Bird. Because I'm tall, mm-hmm. and I wear quite a lot of yellow.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, you weren't wearing that bloody cohort that you bought from Arquette a few weeks ago.
2: Oh my goodness. There is so much hate. Arquette, I love you. I love your towel rangers. They're
1: incredible. They just shouldn't be made into an outfit, which is basically what it is. It's a towel cut into a pair of shorts and a t-shirt that should never see the light of day ever again
2: lest we forget the scrunchie
1: that is also matching the matching scrunchie I mean it's it's a vibe it's a vibe I'm just not sure it's a vibe anybody else n- ever needs to see again so it was
2: either a scrunchie or a bucket hat that I could get bucket matching. hat because
1: hat. then people wouldn't really be able to see your face <gasps> and they wouldn't be able to attribute that terrible choice that terrible fashion choice with you as a person
2: wow well let's hope that this week's guest is a bit more trendier than me
1: Oh, he is. Oh, he is. And I know that for sure, because he wears all of my really trendy clothes. (laughs) This week's guest is somebody I know very, very well. Even in this episode, though, I find out things about this man that after five years of dating him, I never knew.
2: Oh, this is going to be a good one. We are absolutely delighted to be joined by TV's James Longman. James, hello. How are you?
0: Hello. God, this is a get, isn't it? How did you get me? Real, <laughs> real coup.
2: Some big funding that's been put into the podcast to afford you, James.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know who you, you... You contacted someone who contacted someone. They reached out to me. I had to do a favour. It's okay. Don't <laughs> worry. Just make it quick, yeah?
1: Really making the most of our, of our network
0: well i'm here i'm i've got my i'm currently sitting in my room in an india i've got uh, my head under a towel which is often the case when i have to record things abroad and um yeah it's rather, this bed's rather nice actually so this is the image that you should have of me is of lying on my bed in my Delhi hotel
1: it's lovely to have you on the podcast so thank you for making the time to speak to us <laughs> thank you mr Brandon. As we do with every single guest. This is so formal. This is the weirdest experience of my life. Honestly, it's so strange. You're
0: talking, to me, you're talking to me like you've never met me before. The thing you do as well when you're on this thing is you, talk,
1: you, you pronounce all your consonants. It's like Carol Vorderman.
2: Oh, Carol. Go on, Carol.
1: To be fair to you, James, when you're actually away on deployment, I don't speak to you that much. So it is, um, it is quite nerve-wracking actually speaking to you <laughs> down the line. Very sad. This is what
0: I have to put up with. This is the kind of abuse... Completely ignored. I'm risking my life in four corners of the earth and he's swanning around.
1: Oh, here we go. Here we go. The drama. The drama.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay,
1: no one tuned into this thing to listen to this bollocks conversation. You need to ask me some questions. So, let's get into it. Let's not waste any more time. You've already talked enough nonsense as it is. We like to try and play a little game with every single one of our guests when they joined the podcast and this is a bit awkward for me because it's um hopefully the last time you ever did this but to give people a bit of an indication of who you are as a person they probably already know because you are obviously as you say exceptionally famous um what was your last tinder bio before you met the love of your life fiance etc oh God, Um, what was my Tinder
0: bio? It was something, I was trying to be really cool. So I was like, I'm not going to write anything on here. You know, prefer to meet in person, something like that. It was probably BBC journalist, prefer to meet
1: in person. You know, I'm too cool for school, something like that. I can attest to that. There literally was nothing else on the bio, I don't think, other than that. And I do remember using lots of BBC um, pictures on your photos <laughs> yeah but they're the ones they're the best ones they're the best one because some professionals taken it in it innit? i
0: don't get professionals up
1: around my gaff yeah that's so true your lighting ever been better to be honest
2: yeah
0: well this was the bbc the lighting's at abc is a lot better
2: so now we know that you're a man of few words but you've got some great photos with some great lighting james <laughs> can you tell us about when you knew that you were gay
0: um, I think it was, looking back, it was just puberty, I think. I was sort of 13, 14, working out who I was. I, was, I don't think there was a moment. It was just kind of a slow realisation. Um, I was at an all-boys boarding school. So, you know, for a lot of young gay boys, that's heaven. And I guess um, I kind of looked around and realised that I just wasn't like these other kids. You know, I wasn't going all over... You know, trying desperately to hook up with girls. I wasn't, you know, when we ever have parties. I just had to force being like them. And then also dealing with the fact that I probably fancied some of the guys who were at my school. So it was kind of a mix of realizing I wasn't like anybody, everybody else. The shame of not being like them and then trying desperately to act like I was. And so you go through these kind of various different stages. Initially you think, well, I think I might like guys, but I'm just gonna pretend I don't and try and be like everyone else. And then I and then I kind of got to kind of, f- I think probably 14, 15 and I was like, well, I think I like guys. What I'll do is I'll keep it secret. I'll try and kind of maybe go to some gay clubs or something, but I won't, I'll, ha- I'll still have a family. I'll still get married to a woman and it'll be fine. And then I was sort of 17, 18 and I thought, I'm going to be a monk. I'm just not going to be with anyone. This is. I'm just going to be completely celibate. Not going to touch a man. Not going to touch a woman. And then it was probably by the time I left school that I started to think actually being gay was a thing that I could actually live
1: rather than just a feeling that I had to suppress. Uh, so it was a little bit of a journey. I love how at fourteen or fifteen you were thinking about going to gay clubs.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we went to clubs. We went to well, clubs is probably a strong word. I, I was a bit of a rager when I was a kid because we were at boarding school and it was all very like, well... Par- Times have parents, changed. Yeah, well, I'm such a... I just... Bed, bed by nine now. No, yeah, so I was a bit... We were, used to go out quite a lot. So, yeah, and I do remember my first gay club. I think I was... I must have been 16, maybe 17. And I went with my friend Tanya and we went to this club in Brighton. I can't remember the name of it, but it was right on the seafront. And I remember being absolutely terrified. A, that someone would know who'd recognize me from school, or because our school was in Sussex and we used to go to Brighton, was like a hangout. And I went in and it had all these different rooms. And we went upstairs and they were playing, um, what's that, Sugar Babes, About You Now. And there was a guy on the who I thought was really good looking looking back he was probably significantly older than me, and possibly completely inappropriate that he kissed a sixteen year old but let 's move on swiftly by um and he, uh, Tanya was like pushing me to kind of walk towards him, so we were kind of awkwardly dancing near him and then he launched his face at mine, gave me this awkward kiss, and my our teeth sort of scraped together and i and i couldn 't really believe what was happening. And then we left. And you know, my, you know, Alex, my memory is appalling. I remember every moment of that night. It was such a big <laughs> deal for me going and doing something like that. But it still wasn't something I was prepared to tell anyone. And it took probably about sort of 10 years before everybody in my life knew that I was gay.
1: There's a lot to break down there. I think one, yes, I do know your memory is terrible, but I do love that you remember that. But you probably can't remember the day that we got engaged. <laughs> no, that um, I do, because there's video so evidence so of so. that. I know that. <laughs> Yeah, Oh, that's true. Yeah, that is true. But also um, we've documented it like you're living with a dementia patient. (laughs) (laughs) So this um, friend Tanya of yours, are you still are you still friends now? And I suppose what impact did she have on your life at that time? Because obviously she knew that you were gay then at that point. But I'm guessing it was a very slow transition from her finding out and everybody else in your life finding out.
0: The first person actually to find out was Steph, um, who I told a year earlier. Actually, I think I must have been 15. And I remember I, at this point, also had the most horrific skin. I mean, I just looked like a pepperoni pizza. My face was just vile. I just walked down the street and I could hear people go, oh, my God. Um, And I just had such bad acne. So I was kind of dealing with kind of the possibility that I might be gay, also feeling wildly unattractive. So it kind of compounded this feeling of shame. But I got very close to Steph. And... I used to go to her parents' house quite a lot, and I remember I was just feeling so sad. And I was with her, and we were in the kitchen. We used to sit around in the kitchen while her parents were next door in the living room. And I had to say that I felt like I might be gay. I think that's the words I used. But it felt to me like I was admitting that I'd committed a crime. That's how it felt. It felt like I had to like own up to something to her. Um, and, and what was her reaction like? She was like, I oh, know. <laughs> no one... I mean, that whole gay in the village thing, you know, the little Britain sketch, is based in reality for a lot of people, bec- not everyone, but for many, and it was certainly mine, that coming out to other people wasn't really about whether or not they knew or what they would think. It was about me being able to do it and me getting to the point at which I was comfortable admitting it to myself. And she was like, you don't need to feel sorry. You. There's nothing to apologise for. I'm really. She was very touched that I told her. She was like, "I'm really honoured that you decided to tell me, and I'll keep it a secret from everyone. You want me to? That's fine." And I suppose from then on, I, I decided there'd be various different individuals that I'd be comfortable with her telling on my behalf. I was too scared to tell people directly. I mean, this is why I was so amazed by you because when you came out, you decided that you wanted to tell people like face to face, sit down, have the conversation. I was like, no. You tell everybody. I'll just run away and hide. Um, And that's what she kind of did slowly. And Tanya was one of the other people. Uh, Tanya I still talk to, but she's kind of moved away. But Steph is still a very close friend. Um, And then years later, I gave the reading at her wedding. So it was a rather nice moment. She told her parents a few years later, I think. But again, you know, they're not stupid. They knew. And it was just kind of a very slow process. Not because I thought that people in my life would hate me, but I think I had to get over hating myself.
2: So do you think that those two um, influential women in your life then made you think that a life being gay was possible? So you talked about before, you know, I'm going to be a monk. (laughs) I'm just not going to have anything with anyone. Do you think they really helped you to see a future for yourself where you were out and gay
0: I think so I think that was time to be honest it wasn't really anything anyone could do or say other than just be a friend I don't I didn't I certainly wasn't dating in a way that you might when you're 17 and at school and seeing a girl I actually was dating but I was dating girls I mean I dated girls until I was I'd say sort of 21 um god knows the last couple must have been deaf and blind but I mean that's (laughs) that's what I was that's what I was doing. Um, but, you know, some of my closest friends, Yasmin, who's I'm the godfather to her child, she and I dated for nine months. It was my longest relationship for years um, uh, when we were 14. Um, and Because there was this kind of girls' school that we used to be kind of linked with, so that I kind of went through each of the girls. It's always a sure sign that someone's gay if they manage to date every single one of the most glamorous girls at <laughs> a nearby school um, and just kind of hold their hand and, you know, look at them, which is what we were doing. Um, And so I was trying to kind of still live this secret life whilst I told one or two people. Um, And I remember getting to every little kind of stage of life. So I got to my gap year and was like, right now I'm going to tell people. Um, But then I was on a group trip and I went off to be a teacher on my own in China. So it wasn't really like, hey, watch out, boys. I was in this kind of village of everyone was Chinese but me. And, you know, it wasn't really the place where I was going to kind of live my best gay life. And then I started university um, in London and I thought, oh, I'm going to tell everyone now. It's like a new chapter, new me. And again, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And But at each point, there was one or two people who I could confide in. And it was generally them asking rather than me telling. And I remember at university, I told my one of my close friends, Shay, and another one of our friends. He had like, you know, a kind of typical crush he'd have at university that she was kind of into me. And she used to go on at Shay about how much she wanted to go on a date or whatever. And Shay was like, can you just tell this poor girl that you're gay? This is ridiculous. She needs to, like, pour her energies into something else because, like, you are wasting everyone's time. Um, So it just was hard for me to envisage myself living a life as a gay man. I was just letting the pressure out slowly until I think it was not telling my mum for so long that I felt was the problem in not owning up properly even though we're not close. At 24 I decided to write her an email and tell her I was gay and then it felt like I had done it. I felt like I'd come out when I told her.
1: Just before we get into the story about telling your mum what impact do you think being in the boys school had overall on your ability to either sort of understand your gay identity as it was at that young age and obviously not when you're that young you don't really understand what that really means but do you think it held you back or do you think it helped you to understand who you were better as a person like what what impact do you think being at a boys school really had on your ability to come out and find your true self?
0: I absolutely loved school um, but I did feel like a bit of an outsider for a lot of reasons I mean the, mostly because I was gay but also because I kind of knew that my family wasn't really like the families that I was schooled with. Um, in the sense that they were all really rich and mine really wasn't. I mean, my mom basically sent me to that school and spent everything she had on it. You know, she kind of sent me there to get me away from my dad who had schizophrenia and just it was an amazing decision. But it, it did basically bankrupt her. And, and, and I just kind of knew that my situation was very different to everyone else's. I think being at the boys' school, there were a number of things that some of them held me back and some of them, actually, I'm really happy about. The things that hold you back, you know, an all-boys boarding school run by Catholics for Catholics, you know, is not the place to be gay. (laughs) Um, Especially not, you know, I started in 95. By the time I was working out that I was gay, it was like the early 2000s. I'm not talking about the 1960s here, but we still weren't hugely enlightened about 20 years ago. So, you know, I it was it was hard when the word gay is an insult used probably a hundred times a day to any for all manner of reasons you know not towards necessarily gay people you know when and 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 kids are mean right so when you're 14 15 gay is an insult they got a kind of sense that i might be and if in anger it would be said to me and it would really wound me because i was like oh my god they know my secret i thought i was holding this secret back so well I had this the shield that no one knew that I was gay that occasionally they'd let slip that they really knew all along and that was heartbreaking because it was like it was like I was just being made a fool of and they all knew that I was gay and they just they just were kind of sniggering amongst themselves so I did find that really hard but then I made some of the best friendships i've ever you know i've ever made and i'm still very close with basically all the boys that i was in my cl- my year with and you know when people get older they get kinder and it got better and uh, you know now i'm very happy that i went to i went to that school so i think it, it did it helped me back in
1: some ways and it, and it helped me in others it's interesting that you pick up on that piece about they all know you're gay but at that point in your life in your mind you don't know that you're gay almost mm. like maybe you do but you're kind of you don't want to admit it so it's something that as you say like you, you do feel a bit of a fool because it, there is it feels like they know something about you that you don't know yet that to them it's very black and white and to you going through that journey is as you as you said already it really takes time so it's a really interesting like contradiction of how the outside world kind of have judged you and they decide what you are before you can make that up for yourself
0: Yeah, well, they don't have any skin in the game, right? There's no, like, subjective feeling that they have to overcome to arrive at the realisation that another person is gay. It's like they're gay or they're not gay. It's fine. When you're doing it for yourself, you have to overcome shame and sadness and all the other horrible things that you go through when you realise you're not like everybody else. All a teenager really wants to be is like everybody else. It's kind of the inverse of what you become later, where you want to be different. So when you're that age you're just desperate to fit in and 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 when you've got something in you which you can't shake off which makes you different it's it's horrible and 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 school children can it's like they're piranhas you know they, they kind of feed on weakness um and so yeah it was yeah it's tough but I'm I'm not I don't regret for a minute going to that school and and now I know I mean I'm close with the school and I go back and I you know give talks and stuff and I and I happen to know that there are boys who've come out, they come out when they're 13, 14 at the school and they're accepted and it's just moved on in such like lightning pace since I was there, it's it's cool.
2: So going back to you coming out to your mum, can you tell us how you did it and and how that went?
0: Well, I decided that I would write her an email because she and I uh, do not have the uh, most peaceful relationship. I always say me being gay is the least of our problems. There's a whole bunch of other stuff we've got to work out. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, you know, she made an incredible decision in sending me to the school that she did um, because it saved me from having a very, I think, kind of rough childhood at home. My father had schizophrenia and he was ill and, you know, my mother found that hard and she's the only mother and I'm an only child, single mother, I'm an only child. So there was a lot of kind of, there were a lot of things going on. And so I spent 10 years away at boarding school and it was amazing. And I went off and kind of wanted to live my life and, and she and I kind of drifted. And so when I was 24, I thought email's the best way to save a screaming match. So I thought I'd I'd write her an email, I'd say, I think... It was quite long. It wasn't that long. I think it was probably like maybe six or seven, maybe five or six paragraphs. She replied saying, oh, darling, you're probably bi and it's just a phase. Don't <laughs> worry. Or you could, but, um, but also you could just marry a lesbian. And I was like, okay, well. <laughs> Thank you. That's helpful. Uh, so we parked that. And, it, and, and I think, to be honest with you, you know, um, in the spirit of openness, I'm just not sure that she's still p- completely happy about it. But it's part of uh, an issue she has where, you know, everything that happens in the world is about her rather than about everyone else. So I decided to write her the email and and, and it was more, again, the thing about coming out is it's about you. It's not about anyone else. So it, it, it set me free, even though it wasn't that important what she said. The idea was just me telling her allowed me to live my life. Um... And it was less like a magic trick. It, it doesn't really have any reasonable kind of sense behind it. It shouldn't make sense. But yeah, it does because you've, you've let the pressure out. So emailing her when I was 24 coincided with my decision to download dating apps, to go on dates, to meet guys. It was literally almost overnight that I decided to, to see what it was like dating guys
1: in London. Um, and it wasn't really until I emailed her that I was able to do that. And whilst it's not a competition... Emily and I came out when we were 26, so a little bit older than than you were, but at 24 still, that's mm-hmm. you know a good number of years behind everybody else in terms of when they're going out and they're getting on the scene and they're understanding themselves at a really pivotal time in their lives, and particularly at university, as you say earlier in in the episode about that's a time where you, can, you feel like you're being set free. It's quite a transformational time in somebody's life. But you're still you know three, four years behind that point. What impact do you think that had mm-hmm. on you in terms of understanding who you are as a person and the experiences you've had since? I think that I was essentially 10 years
0: later than everyone else when it came to my, my understanding of attraction and what it might mean to be with another human being and the idea of relationships. 14 was, is when... You might start being conscious of that, I know a lot for a lot of people it 's younger and at twenty four I was just starting and and I think what it did was it it really kind of set me back in terms of my understanding of what a relationship should be. I first of all was very judgmental of other gay people. I was like, well, I'm not really like these guys. And I'd go to gay clubs and stand in the corner with my arms folded, like very, judge- <laughs> you know, judgy. The first question I'd get in all gay clubs was like, oh, what's wrong with you? Are you having a good time? And the more questions I'd be asked about whether or not I was happy, the angrier I would become. <laughs> um, and yeah, you, you, you kind of, you have this internalised homophobia, which you then externalise to other gay people. And it, so it just really doesn't serve any purpose. So it was either that, it was like, Jekyll and Hyde it was either that or I'd meet a guy and I'd be like marry me within about 30 seconds because I had no real understanding of what a relationship might actually look like what the normal things you go through when you date someone Um, you know if someone was vaguely quote unquote like me um, then I'd think well you know I found one I found someone else who's like me um, you know, I, I think, you know, not to be too judgmental again, but, you know, being gay for me in the early years was like a long exercise in narcissism. It was just looking for someone who was my double, um, because I wasn't prepared to accept that gay people come in all shapes and sizes. Um, and so I was like, I'd, I'd latch on to these poor unsuspecting humans who i now have to take the opportunity to apologize to, uh, because, you know, I must've been completely horrible to try to have any kind of normal interaction with i'd go for one coffee and i was going out you know trying on dresses so um that's so i think that's what it did to me really um and then you just have to learn that about yourself and you level out and then you come to realize that you know it all happens in its own good time
1: i'm all for people um doing their thing and you know dressing the way they want to but please don't come to our wedding in a wedding dress i don't i don't want to see that
0: Excuse me, that is, I'm sure there's some kind of phobia that you have now just um, voiced in saying that sentence. So what would I like? Thank you. And for the record, everyone listening, Alex and I are talking about when we're going to get married. He wants to wear a velvet DJ, a velvet tuxedo. And so if you do come, you will be greeted by a man who's dressed as a ringmaster at a circus. That's the only image I can really conjure of how alex intends to dress at the wedding but there we go little vignette for you
1: well if you keep going on like this there may not be a wedding anyway (laughs) but let's swiftly move on shall we
2: you've talked about coming out later at 24 what do you think was the biggest block in you coming out
0: I don't I, I think that it was just myself, my own brain, what I understood gay people to be, you know, I think if you the world is built for white straight men. It's it's everyone else has to find their place. And I was kind of white and I kind of I suppose in some ways um presented straight, whatever that means, quote unquote straight, but uh, you know, I I found that I just didn't understand what the world would look like for me. I, I think that everything that was being presented to me told me a story about a world which I didn't belong in, whether it was movies or music or, you know, what my friends are into, you know, just everything about the culture was about a world where boys meet girls and they make babies, and that was that. So I think feeling immediately like you were an outsider... You know it's it's quite a difficult thing to overcome and it took
1: me it took me a little time to do it this is something we've never spoken about but i wonder what you think your dad's reaction to your coming out would have been oh
0: um well i think he would have loved it um oh you're gonna make me cry now um He was someone who um, found his lone life really hard and um, he, you know, he dealt with really difficult mental illnesses. And so I think that he would have, um, he would have been able to empathise with someone who was struggling a bit, I think. And I would have had a friend to deal with my own problems alongside i think in his more lucid moments i think mm-hmm. and you know he was such a hippie he was such an enormous he's so different <laughs> he's so different to me you know i'm obsessed with things i'm such a magpie all i do is walk around <laughs> looking to buy gold he um you know he just used to get rid of all his stuff oh, yeah i know you don't he used to love um you know every every month he would take all the stuff out of his apartment and put it down on the pavement outside, the, in, in the street in London, and that sounds completely bonkers. And forgive me, but he was because he was—he had schizophrenia. But it was—it was, was the—it was his soul was someone who didn't want to accumulate things. He didn't want to take part in a world which was about materialism, and he was—and he was just such a good human being. He was such a good soul, and I think that he would have been a wonderful ally in a world where he didn't belong and where i didn't feel i did either so i think um it would have been wonderful that's my only regret in my whole life actually that i didn't have him when i was growing up to deal with being gay
1: i'm sorry bob i'm upset oh (laughs) don't be sad I'm telling you not to be sad because you're you're crying now because you've made me (laughs) sad. I feel bad. I feel bad for asking that question, but I think it's really important. No,
0: it's beautiful. No, I didn't think you were going to ask me. You landed that on my lap, didn't you? You sent me a list
1: of questions and you said, these (laughs) is
0: what I'm going to ask you. And then you just went and dropped the
1: bomb you will be a journalist one day <laughs> well, I want, I, well I was just thinking I just thought of it as we were talking it's like it's, it's such a huge part of someone's life your parents yeah. you know we've yeah. spoken so much about our mm-hmm. parents on yeah on our episodes and it's something mm-hmm. we touch on with everybody else we speak to and you know you have a you know a glaring big hole in that part of your life and it's it should be interesting to see you know what how your life would have been different but yeah you know you still have an amazing life now I think and um you are yeah well, you you've are.
2: certainly made me an owl cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's lucky I'm lying
0: here on my bed with a towel on it where I can use it to wipe my face. Soak up
1: the tears. Oh, Soak up That was tears.
2: beautiful. Thanks, James. That was absolutely beautiful. How would you say that being gay influences your life and your work now?
0: Oh, I think it's invaluable, actually. Um, You know, basically, and I said it earlier, but you know, forgive me for repeating myself, the world is built for white straight men. And what we do when you're a journalist is you go and look for the people who are struggling with that reality, wherever they are in the world. And I'm, I come from a minority that has struggled. So I think witnessing struggle is easier if you've been through it yourself in some way. Now, I have been immensely privileged in just about every way. I have won the lottery of life. You know, I was earlier today in a in a market here in Delhi where people had no hands who were begging. So believe you me, when I say I've won the lottery of life, I really have, and I don't want to complain about anything. But there, the psychological truth of dealing with shame and working out where you should fit in the world and feeling like you have to hide things and being worried what people think and just all those horrible things you go through when you're not sure who you are I think has helped me a lot. Um, You know, I come from a family, my mother's family is Arab and I think that I've got an understanding of what it's like to be in a culture where you're not accepted. Um, That also helps me because I spend a lot of time in the Middle East. I mean, I do spend a lot of time kind of making jokes with kind of large fat men who smoke too much about football and girls just because that's what you have to do in this job and you have to pretend you're interested I know more about girls than I do about football Um, but yeah I think it really does help absolutely does help Um, and you know I wouldn't change it for the world
2: so a word that I've picked up there that when you've kind of been talking James is shame and you know you've talked about growing up Catholic as well can you just talk a bit about your experience of religion and your sexuality?
0: Yeah, that's super interesting because I actually think I'd probably be a church going Catholic now if I wasn't gay. Because I have all the ingredients of of being Catholic, of wanting to be Catholic, of wanting to take part in, in the Catholic faith. I mean, the... Family member I love most and miss most really, um, who had a big role in my life was my grandmother, my mother's mother uh, she was Lebanese Catholic, she wore blue in May for the month of mary she taught, she said the rosary every fifteen seconds she couldn't come <laughs> near her without her dousing you in rose water i mean she was she was amazing and full of love and it's very difficult because the Catholic Church is a very large uh, controversial institution, and it's done some awful, awful things. My experience of it was wholly incredible, uh, and I was raised by a group of people at the school I went to, it was a monastic school, uh, who were incredible. And so, it's always been with me, and I, and I talk about it being, I've got a very close Jewish friend, Nikki, who I know you're talking to, he talks about being culturally Jewish, and I talk about being culturally Catholic, I feel like it's a thing. I mean, I, mean, I've, I find myself saying the most ridiculous things, if I like someone... And then someone says, oh, did you know they were Catholic? I go, I knew, I knew they were Catholics because I like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't mean anything at all. It's the kind of thing my mother comes out with. But like, I really feel it, you know, so I do identify still. But at the same time, there is a lot of hate for Catholic pe- for, for gay people uh, among Catholics. There just is. And so it has made me stand, you know, uh, maybe... Arm's length away from the church, all these years, I can't get married in a church. Uh, would I want to? I suppose I would, mostly because it's kind of there's gold everywhere, which it's kind of. Can you imagine a big gay wedding in a Catholic church? It'd be so <laughs> glam. Um, but you know, I think it has been a difficult thing for me to reconcile. All I can really say is, in every faith, in every walk of life, you know, wherever you are, if you if you if you focus too much on the macro. You'll never really experience the kind of micro beauties that exist. And for me, that's been the people I've met who are Catholic, who've been wonderful. And that's all I can really hold on to. But, you know, as far as practicing Catholic, being part of an institution, that's really hard. Um, and I think Pope Francis has, has made some amazing, amazing comments about gay people and where they where they sit in the kind of Catholic family, and you know, who knows what might happen down the line. But yeah, it's, it's certainly something you, you have to fight, you don't know, you deal with it, you come back and forth on it all the time.
1: But do you think you could ever see yourself being a practicing Catholic again? Do you think you could go back to those days of when you were younger and, and really be able to have that as a part of your life?
0: I mean, I'd like to think so, because the, my most formative years were impacted by people who were Catholic and who were incredible you know my father died and i was it was the love that i felt from the school i was at and the and the people who ran it was incredible and that was really the test of of a good person i guess for me as a young person trying to struggling having lost their father so i've never ruled it out i think about it a lot um you know it's it's difficult it really is yeah it's hard but uh, you know i'm always fascinated about gay people who are catholic and who practice and I, I remember i interviewed a an individual in in italy who had who had spoken to the pope about the idea that he could get married and the pope had it made a big news story at the time the pope had sort of suggested that it wouldn't maybe be a problem in the future and stuff and he's a practicing catholic loves the church goes all the time takes his kids he's got a community there where he lives in rome um so it's possible <laughs>
2: Now, Alex, I will spare your blushes and spare you having to ask this question i've spoken about a uh snorting dated burrito eating lady that I went on a date with. James, I want to know your funny dating stories
0: God well alex will tell you. obviously we've as we've touched on my memory is appalling i mean one that springs to mind there has there were many um many dates. Um, I was a bit of a serial dater in the sense I was just kind of so desperate to meet someone, so I'd be like, oh, date at two, date at five, and then I'd go for dinner with someone else, and then I'd, you know next day there'll be another date. I think I didn't meet someone for so long because I wasn't taking any of it very seriously. It was like a, a, you know, it was like some kind of game show where I had to run around doing different dates. Um, one of them though, I remember we met, and the problem for dating and everyone who's on a on an app will tell you this, is that people are very difficult to read when you can just see their photographs. And I went on this date, and we met, we decided, it was this guy, I remember. I can't remember, I think it was called Chris, he was blonde, and we met in Islington, I was still a student at the time, and we sat on a bench, and he was nothing like his photograph, I mean literally, I don't know what, he he must have, maybe it was just a different person, and we sat next to each other, and I just thought, I can't, I cannot sit here and listen to this person speak for like an hour, and then pretend we have to go for dinner, oh God. And there was, like, TV I wanted to see. So I, I then did this thing where I grabbed my face all of a sudden. Because I was trying to think of believable ways to get out of this. Because to say you've got a headache or you've got a phone call, none of that that it is obvious. So I thought, what's, what's, what's a really unexpected way of getting out of this date? So I grabbed my face and was like, oh, 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 I've got a nosebleed. <laughs> um and there was no nosebleed, there was no blood. And then I put my head back really j- suddenly. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping the bleed. I'm so- but I'm really sorry, I'm going to have to go. And I was just staring at the sky. And he just was like looking at me like I was completely mad. And I crossed over the road. I remember walking down. I lived at the end of, I lived just off the Essex Road. So I had to walk down this long street. And I could feel his eyes. He was sitting at that bench looking at me. And I had to walk <laughs> for like 100 metres with my head back pretending to stumble around as i fended off the blood um which was clearly not coming out of my face so if anyone wants to wants to kind of get out of a date i would suggest not faking a nosebleed because it's unfakeable um but anyway he got the message um another one was i went on this date with this guy and he was he was so hot it was unreal i couldn't really believe it i walked in was it me was it me (laughs) oh Much hotter than you. Great. And um, so we went. I went into the bar and I was like, oh, God, this is going to be great. Um, we sat down and I nearly fell into a coma. He was so boring. I actually couldn't believe that a human could be as boring as he was. There were such long periods of silence that I almost fell asleep. And then the best bit was at one point, because we had both, it was nothing to say. I, honestly, it was just like, and then he goes, oh, I, I, I remember one thing. Because we were both sitting there racking our brains to say something, and he looked at me and he goes, "I'm gluten intolerant," <laughs> and um, I and I just looked at him, and then it got worse because then he goes, "Oh no, no, I told you that already." <laughs> oh my goodness! So I was like, "Yeah, that 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 gem of a fact about your life, thank you." So that was a that was a great one. Um, and yeah, well, but, you can't
1: have it all, I guess. You know,
0: I'm sure though that I have been on many dates and the guys on those dates have gone back to their friends and told them that I was awful. So, you know, it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. I do, though, have to, you know, I was, I did go on dates where if I liked the guy, I think I probably did come off as pretty strong. And if I didn't hear back, I'd be a little bit like, I'm outside your door! <laughs> um, I found out where you live. I'm under your bed. Um, so, and that was a bit, I think, scary for some boys. But I think I've calmed down since. The dates I go on now, it's, they go much, much
1: better. <laughs> uh, good one, good one.
2: I mean, all I can ask is, Alex, does James regularly have nosebleeds in... Difficult situations. He
1: just has really good excuses now. <laughs> I've got to go to India last minute. I've got to go to Greenland last minute. Oh yeah, okay, cool. That's his version of a nosebleed nowadays. No, but it's not because
0: then that would be the equivalent of me doing that. Would then just not go to Greenland. I've actually, I did actually then go. Oh yeah. The so okay. difference there would be like to pretend I'm going to a country I'm not going to, and then you find out I'm staying at a hotel at the airport.
2: Well, I can't wait to see that on your wedding day. James, <laughs> like, sorry, I've got a nosebleed. I'll be right back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I fall off a cliff.
1: Without making your head any bigger than it already is, you have gone a long way in helping me to understand who I am as a person, particularly a gay person in this world that, as you've said, is built for for straight white people. But what other advice do you have for anybody who's listening and particularly young people who might be listening to this who haven't got to that point of coming out, haven't yet had the courage to do it? What advice would you have for them when they are thinking about coming out, whether it's friends or family, people at work? What would you say to them?
0: Well, I'd say one very simple thing, which is that all they've got to do is find a single human being somewhere that they trust and think about telling them at some point. I think that just start with them with the with the small things. You don't have to think about it as this great big, you know, mountaintop reveal. You can just focus on that one human being who helps you like Steph helped me when I was 15 at the kitchen table. That's the person you need. And if you don't have that person, you can message me. You can message anyone, and you know who you see who looks like they might be having a having a happy time of, of of being gay and and being content with who they are. You know, I do get a lot of messages from young gay people who are working out who they are, and I don't mind at all replying. But it is about finding one person that you can trust, and that, and then everything else will come from there because you'll realise that. It doesn't destroy the relationship with that person. It only makes it stronger. And then you'll think, well, actually, maybe I can strengthen my other relationships. Um, it's not to say it's not going to be hard, because it can be. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't sugarcoat it. For some people, it's very, very hard. Um, but, you know, you should know that it's, it feels like a very unique experience to you now. But this is something that has been shared by millions of people through time. Gay people have existed for as long as humans have existed. And you are not going through it alone. There'll be more people after you. And we've all survived, so you will too.
1: Well, that was a tearjerker.
2: It really was. Mr Longman certainly took us on a journey. One minute, I was crying the next minute I was crying laughing yes nosebleeds will never ever be the same again after that story
1: I'm glad he didn't do that to me on my date although (laughs) as I've told in a previous episode he did turn up to my date in sports gear I don't think he had expected it to last very long he's ready to run (laughs) it is <laughs> expecting to have to run, but actually it all worked out.
2: Oh, it did indeed. And I think one of the biggest takeaways for me from that episode was how you can actually be your own worst enemy and how you can be that big block to you living your life authentically and being able to embrace who you are.
1: I totally agree. I think we create these ideas of who we need to be as people based on what we see in the world based on the role models that we have and the upbringing that we have. And when we realise we're different and we don't fit into that way of being, we are like, ah, shit, I need to be something else and being gay is not the right thing. And you create this thing in your own mind about, no, that's not okay, I can't be that way. When actually you just need to be like, no, this is who I am. And whilst the external environment doesn't necessarily accept this or have space for this, This is who I am. I'm just going to be who I am. I'm not gonna let anybody else hold me back from that. Because otherwise, as we've said before, you never fulfill your potential. You never become who you are. And you won't be the change in the world that everyone needs to see. And you will never live that life you deserve to have. So thank you, James. Bring something beautiful back from India for me. And me. No, just me.
2: that marks the end of this episode of the one that got a gay thank you for listening and thank you for sticking with us we would love to hear from you if you'd like to get involved in the podcast or if you'd like to share a story or ask us a question please reach out to us via instagram at the one that got a gay or via gmail the one that got a gay at gmail.com love you bye